So today uh, we're going to start with something a little bit different. We're going to play a little game, so I'm going to need some congregational participation. So prepare yourselves. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a game called Simple Description. A picture is going to appear on the uh, PowerPoint, and I need some people to, as simply as possible, in one sentence or less, describe to me the person that is in the picture. So please uh, be loud, and you can raise your hand if you want, or we'll just assume that someone will say the right answer. So give us the first picture. Okay, describe him. First president. Okay, first president of the United States, George Washington. Okay, uh, correct. Simply described. All right, next one. Who is Amelia Earhart? Nice. Okay, yeah, my, yeah. Uh, she's a famous pilot, first woman to solo across the Atlantic in an airplane. So, Amelia Earhart, famous pilot. And now for the last one, most importantly, not most importantly at all, it's my dad. Uh, so, the whole point with this is he's a pastor. I've been in plenty of his sermons. This is a little payback. I just needed to get him in here somehow. So, then, you know, now I can say you were a sermon illustration. But if I had to describe my dad as simply as possible, I'd say grandfather of seven is probably how he would want to be described. Now, you don't actually have to know him, he's not important for the sermon, uh, but that was just a little payback. So, <laughs> let's pray. Dear God, as we study 1 John, uh, we're just learning so much about who you are and what you have in store for us as your body. You are loving and filled with grace and mercy, and yet also filled with justice. We praise you today that you can be all of these things at the same time, knowing that we so often struggle to show love to other people, even when that's all we're called to be doing. We also confess that we allow ourselves to be led astray by false teachings. Give us wisdom and discernment as we test the spirits, like Pastor Hightow talked about last week. Help us to be people who care deeply for your word and for the truth that it has to communicate. Thank you for the opportunity to be a community of believers and allow us to be a community that loves each other well. Amen. So what was the point of simple description? I'm sure all of you are wondering. That's the risk you do when you have the youth pastor preach. That's, that's what happens. They do different things. Uh, well, we will get to that as we study 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 12. Hopefully this becomes clear. Uh, but before we jump into that passage, I wanted to just quickly talk a little bit about what led up to this. What did Pastor Hightow talk about last week? And he did a great job looking at our call to test the spirits to find the truth instead of falsehood, to be aware that false teachings are out there, uh, to be like the Bereans who were known to read the scriptures and to find enjoyment and passionately pursue the truth. And so as we read and studied those things, it then brings us to John's next point, which we find in verses, or in verses 7 through 12. So let's read that together. Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So as we've been going through 1 John, and as I was studying this week, I, I kind of had this realization. I was, I was starting out, and the first word uh, in verse 7 is beloved. And I thought, I wonder how John interacts with his readers throughout the rest of the book. And so I went back and highlighted all the different ways that John introduces a section when he's talking to the readers. And there are two ways that he addresses his readers. He either calls them children or my little children, or he calls them, uh, depending on your version, beloved or my friends. And so as I was studying that, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Let's look and see what follows. And as I studied, every time that it mentions children or that John addresses them as children, it is followed by a teaching that they need to remember or that brings comfort to them or is an encouragement to them. We find uh, John address them as children when he reminds them that they have an advocate in Jesus for when we sin. Uh, he addresses them as children when he reminds them that they have been anointed by the Holy One and encourages them to know the truth, that there is truth for them to know. Uh, he calls them children and reminds them to have confidence because you are in Christ and encouraging them not to be deceived by anyone and that there is truth out there for them and it's in the scripture. And when he calls them friends or beloved, it is followed by a command or a call or an action step. We see this, it says, friends or beloved, love your brother. Uh, believe in the name of God and love each other. And test the spirits and learn the truth. And so as I started to, to read this, I realized there's going to be a command in here, and we'll get to that later. But sometimes when I read this passage, and it's a fairly common passage that people know, I'm tempted to take it as a reminder or, or a sense of comfort, which it is as well. We should be comforted by this passage, but we can't miss that there's a command in here for us as well, that there's an action step that John is giving us clear instruction on. And I think the reason he has these differences between beloved and children is you know, we, we communicate to those groups differently. Um, as a parent, when I'm talking to my children, oftentimes I'm trying to encourage them and, and bring them a sense of peace and help, help them learn. And so John is doing that to this young church, a new church that is, is trying to grow in, in faith, but just to be encouraged. But then also he addresses them as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who have a mission to do as well and a job to do as well. And that's when John addresses them as beloved. Or his friends. And so the first point that we see John make in this section is that God is love. Now this is such an important part of who God is. We cannot separate love out of God. All of his actions, everything that God does is in line with him being love. And so this of course brings up the question of what is love? And we as humans are going to struggle to not allow the idea of what human love looks like to cloud our understanding of what God's love is. And so when we look at God's love, we're talking about an unconditional love, a love that is not possessive, because when we think of human love, both of those things are true, right? We love things that we can have, or, or we want to control things with our love even sometimes, or there's uh, meters that need to be met before we give our love. And so... We can't separate the love out of God. Everything that God does is love. Everything that God has ever done has always been 
love. And so the God of the Old Testament is love. The God of the New Testament is love. God is love when he is giving grace and mercy. God is love when he is holding people accountable and disciplining and consequences. And so we played simple description because we tried to describe George Washington as simply as possible, President of the United States. And I think, in a way, this is what John is doing here, right? The simple description of God is love. Now, clearly, it is not the same, right? There's not a simple way to describe God. However, this is a very important aspect of what makes God, God. These verses make it clear that if we don't understand and see that God is love, we shouldn't claim to be united with him or to be in fellowship with him. Can you imagine someone in, uh, what year did George Washington become president? Probably like the 80s, am I right? Somewhere around there. Someone in 1780-something says, oh yeah, George Washington is my friend, and they don't know that he became president. Would that person be their friend? That he doesn't know George Washington. You don't know George Washington if you don't know that he was president. You can't claim to be Amelia Earhart's friend if you don't know that she is passionate about air travel. Okay? And so as we've studied this, we read again, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And with this verse, I think it's important for us to take a step back Because we need to realize that culture has, in a way, tried to take this verse and misapply it. Um, It's often misapplied to say that God is no other attribute than love. So the things that we love become the defining aspects of who we are. And if I love, I am connected to this God of love. And so, you know, if I have love for whatever, then I'm connected to God. And God is love. And love is love. And it goes down this rabbit trail moving us away from a correct understanding of what this means. Because again, it says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so we need to make the distinction that this is still talking about that godly, heavenly love. This is why it's so important for us to realize that all of God and all that he does is love. Throughout scripture, we see that he is just. We see that he is wrathful. His love is so different than what we call love today. It's a self-sacrificing love. And we're going to get to that in the very next passage, the very next section. And that's that's what we shouldn't take away. We don't take away that God is love like human love and, and love is love and all those things. But what we do take away is that to be a follower of Christ, that means that we need to understand what kind what this kind of love looks like. And so that understanding of godly love is required for godly life and birth or rebirth. Once we have an understanding of what this love means, then we can find new life in Christ. Without an understanding of this love, we are not going to find new life in Christ. We understand who we serve and worship, at least more fully than we did before. People throughout history and scripture have claimed to know God or to be his servants but failed to understand that he is love or failed to understand what a godly love looks like. You think of the Pharisees in the times of Jesus, right? They claimed God. They claimed to be his servants. They were the spiritual best, and yet time and again we see them fail to understand what godly love looks like. And so they don't have this new life. They don't have a rebirth in Jesus. And also, this understanding of what godly love is is required for knowing God. 
If we are going to grow in a knowledge of who God is, we need to understand that he is love and understand what that love is. If we don't, we're not having an appropriate or or a correct understanding of who God is. I'm going to read verse 8 again. Anyone who who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, this is kind of a scary verse, at least it is for me. Do I understand what godly love's what godly love looks like. Do I show godly love to other people? Of course, the answer is oftentimes no, right? Uh, But as we've talked about, we need to continue to keep this idea of God is love within the other attributes that we know as well. He is gracious and merciful and redemptive. And as we study any verse, we need to make sure we're understanding the context. So that's going to bring us to verses 9 and 10. But again, I just want to point out a lot of people stop in verses 7 with the God is love idea, and they forget what comes next. And so that then brings us to verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that he, we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so we see the next point here is that God reveals his love through Jesus. So after we have this panic about not understanding what it means that God is love, you know, if we need to understand what godly love is to know God and to have this new life, that's sort of scary because do we always understand it? No. John helps us by giving us two examples or two ways that God reveals what this love is, what it means that God is love. And so the first is the birth, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And we see that Jesus restores Relationship, And that is the gospel. That is the most key element of scripture. When we want people to hear scripture, we want them to understand the gospel. And there are a couple passages that I wanted to bring in uh, that just help us understand what the gospel is. Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The clearest way for having an understanding of what the fact that God is love, the clearest way is for us to understand who Jesus is. We see that Jesus pays the price that humans owe for our sin and our wrongdoing. It says here that he's the propitiation or atoning sacrifice, which means that he makes right what was wrong. We are in wrong standing with God before Jesus. And if you don't have an understanding of the work of Jesus, you are not able to understand the work of God the Father, and you will not understand what it means that God is love. So those things are so inseparable. We need to understand that God is love and that Jesus is the revelation of, of that love, and that is the gospel. Now, this is the love that Jesus reveals. It is an unwanted and an unwarranted love. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At no point did any of us choose Jesus. We were in active rebellion against him when he died for us, Right? Uh, We did not want his love. Instead, we decided to settle for things on this earth that we quote-unquote love. We set idols up 
in the place of God. And we were unwanting of his love. And yet he still loved us. And we see that on the cross. Not only did we not want his love, we didn't deserve it, nor can we do anything to deserve his love. We were slaves to our sin, reveling in the things of this earth. So this idea of Jesus' love for us is kind of crazy, I think. And so I've tried to find good ways to describe this to some of the high school students as we've done it, and I've used this example before. Uh, Imagine that... There's a family and some parents, and they have a child, and that child is uh, killed by someone else. And there's a trial, and that person is brought before the judge, and the trial goes, and they are convicted. They are declared guilty. And surprisingly, for some reason, the judge says, all right, parents, you get to set the the punishment for the crime. This is what you're going to decide what happens to this guy. So the love of Jesus is like this. Not only does that parent forgive the person who killed their child and say there's no more issues that we need to be resolved, that parent decides I'm going to adopt this person as my new child and they are going to be in my inheritance and we are going to love each other and be in fellowship together. It's a kind of crazy thing and so we have to realize that this is the way that God reveals his love is through Jesus. To show them mercy and grace, that's forgiving them, and then adopting them, and that's what God does to us. And so Jesus is the clearest way that we have to understand what the love of God looks like, or the fact that God is love. But John, because he's very kind, also gives us another example of what the fact that God is love looks like, and he reveals his love through the church. So we, as the body of Christ, have a job. And remember that this is a beloved or friends section. This is a command. John is expecting something from his brothers and sisters in Christ after reading this passage. Yes, God is love. And yes, God reveals his love through Jesus. But he also places us in his plan for revealing his love and revealing that he is love. This is not always going to be natural or easy. In fact, both of my next points, when we really delve into it and and think about what it means, can be quite difficult at times to believe and to act on. But we as the body of Christ are to experience the love of God. And so what we're going to finish with here, hopefully you guys recognize this, this is our our mission statement. We experience the love of God and we extend the love of God. And and this is, for those of you who don't know, was a result of a pastor retreat uh, pretty soon after Pastor Austin and Chuck got here. The four of us on staff at the time went up to Hidden Acres. Uh, We're looking at where do we cast vision for the church? What does that look like? And so through a lot of prayer and, and searching through the scriptures, we came to this passage and thought this really describes it well. We want our people to experience the love of God and extend the love of God. And so after that time, the pastors brought that back and presented it to the elders, and and there was a lot of prayer and consideration, and, and we decided this was it. We experience the love of God and extend the love of God. And at first, I think that sounds pretty simple, Right? Uh, experience the love of God. Oh, we're loved by God. That's, we, we have no problem saying that God loves us. But again, I think the issue is often in the way that we perceive of love or we think of love. We act as if love is something that is deserved or something that is conditional. 
We act as if God reveals his love or we experience God's love when he gives us good things. Oh, I got a raise at work. God must love me. Uh, my, my family has been healthy for a while and has not had major issues. God must love me. That's the way we experience God's love. Uh, or we think things are hard. God must not be loving me right now. Or I'm, I'm not healthy or my family's not healthy. God must not be loving me right now. But as again, we look at the previous section, we look at Jesus, we know that that's not the case. That is not how we experience God's love. He loved us first. It was an unwarranted love. But I think that then brings up the difficult question of how do we experience God's love in the midst of hardship? This is a recurring issue for Christians. This is not something that's new. Um, there are a multitude of books written about it. Preachers have been preaching on experiencing the love of God in hard times. Uh, recently in my time here, the, we have read through Streams in the Desert, which was a book about going through hard times and still experiencing the love of God. It's something that we've been asking for a long time. And I thought, there are times in my life, as I was thinking this through, what are times when I have experienced the love of God in the midst of difficult situations? And so I thought of the birth of my firstborn child. Uh, Lyra was born six weeks early, and she was healthy as you can be for six weeks early. We were very blessed in a lot of ways. However, it was a very unexpected and hard thing. Um, we had a lot of plans that weren't coming. It was very easy for us to think God must not love us because this isn't what we wanted. And we had been praying for good things and an easy birth and the way we expected it to go, and it wasn't. However, as Kara and I talk and we look back, we realize, yes, we were definitely experiencing the love of God. Um, he was there with us experiencing that hardship. And we have a God who understands what that is. He understands what hardship is. He understands what it's like to be human and to suffer. God gave us endurance to deal with the difficult things. There were a lot of long nights trying to sleep on uh, a little recliner that was very uncomfortable. Uh, so there was a lot of exhaustion, and God gave us the endurance to deal with the difficult things. And the way that I think God most clearly revealed his love to us, and that allowed us to experience his love, is that we had something to look forward to after death. We have heaven to rely on and his word to rely on. And so we experience God's love, and it's not always a pleasant experience in the sense of something going on, but God still loves us in that. Our perception can change. God's love for us does not. He is immutable. And so as the body, not only do we experience the love of God, we also extend the love of God. Now, when I found out I was preaching this passage, I got really excited um, because I thought, ooh, I'm going to have an opportunity to really focus on us as the church, reaching outside of the church and being missional and really extending the love of God to people outside of the church. And we will get there. However, the more I study this passage, which... As it happens, it's like you study the past and you're like, oh, all of my plans are ruined. <laughs> We're really here looking in verses 11 and 12 about the body loving the body. It says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in this. We are to love one another. John is writing here to the church saying, love each other. This fellowship, this group of people who love God and understand that he first loved them, 
should be so loving to each other that when outsiders look at the church, all they see is Jesus because we love each other so well. If we are to love like God loves, which we are, that's the call here, right? God is love. We've looked at godly love. That means that this love is also unwarranted. People in the church are filled with sin and problems, right? The most common complaint about the church is we're hypocrites, okay? There's a bunch of us who have a lot of serious problems, and yet we are called to love each other in such a way that when people see it, they say, that's Jesus. The only reason they love each other is Jesus. And we are to love each other with this same self-sacrificing love that Jesus did. And that's not easy. We struggle with greed and jealousy and self-promotion. The people that we're called to love deal with the same things. But we have this picture created by this experiencing the love of God and extending the love of God that I think is helpful. We have this picture of the church experiencing the love of God vertically. So it's like, I'm on my little island, and I experience the love of God, and so God sends down a ladder that allows me to experience his love. And I am now in communion and fellowship with God, and that fills me up. And all of a sudden now, I can use this ladder that God used and and gave to me to go to the island next to me and extend the love of God to the people closest to me and then spread it out from there. And so that picture helps us understand what it means to experience the love of God and extend the love of God. But then what does this mean for us as a church? I think firstly, we need to be focused on loving each other. We need to be self-sacrificing. We need to recognize that even though I may not like everybody on this side of the room, the whole, the whole side, I'm called to love them, right? We have a God who loves us in an unwanted and unwarranted way, and we're called to do the same thing. We need to love the people in this body, even when it's unwanted, even though it's definitely unwarranted. We need to love them. We need to focus on the gospel, This passage gives us a clear gospel teaching. God loves us and sent his son to die for us. It was the way that he reveals his love for us. He did this so that we could be forgiven of our sins and be reunited in fellowship with him. Now, if any of you are unsure of what this means or if you haven't done this yet but have questions or would like to do that, I would love to talk to you after the sermon. I know any of the other pastors or any of the other people in this church would love to talk to you about that. We want people to understand the gospel, and so we need to be modeling that. Also with this, the knowledge that God is love, we need to trust that God loves us even when we don't feel like that is true. God does not change. In our hardship, in the difficult things in life, we need to have faith and trust that God is giving us the exact same love to the same amount that he always has. Our perceptions can change. God's love does not. Don't confuse those two things. This passage should encourage humility as we realize that God loved us first, even though it was unwarranted and unwanted. I think you can click through the next slides. Those, these are the points I'm making. Um, so even though this was an unwarranted, unwanted love, God still does it. This should create in us humility because none of us deserve it. We are all sinners. We are all in rebellion against God before Jesus. And if we're commanded to love like that, we have no reason for not loving other people. There's no one in this church who is unlovable. There's no one outside of this church who is unlovable. 
And lastly, we need to remember that this is something to do, not just something to remember. We need to show the love of God to the people in the church in such a way that it explodes out of the church and the people who see us as a church say they love each other really well because of Jesus. And then also we need to show that love to the people outside of this church as well. We are not called to just sit here and and love each other. There are innumerable number of passages that encourage us to reach outside of the church as well. But this one says, be so intentional with our love for each other that it is visible to those outside. It says that when we do this, no one has ever seen God, but I think they get a picture if we love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so we need to go and do love. So let's close in prayer. Dear God, you are the truest and best example of love. So often we fail to live up to the example you set for us. We know that and we recognize that and we ask for your help in doing a better job of that. We thank you for loving us still even though we fail. We for revealing your love through your son and the church. Help us as a specific local church to be so loving and so caring for each other as a body that your love is exemplified to the world. Help us to experience your love in powerful ways that allow us to bubble over with love towards other people and help those experiences, even when the things we're going through are hard, help us to trust that we are still experiencing your love. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.